The Guardian. From next Monday, the 17th of May, England is set to go into the next stage of the roadmap out of lockdown as society begins to open up. But new variants of coronavirus first discovered in India are spreading across the UK. Last week, Public Health England designated one of these, known as B1617.2, as a variant of concern, and it's now the second most common variant in the UK. All of this comes as the situation in India remains as grim as ever, with the country struggling to deal with hundreds of thousands of new COVID-19 infections and thousands of deaths every day. So, what do we know about these coronavirus variants, and how concerned should we be? From the Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia, and this is Science Weekly. We essentially have shown that this isn't a double mutant and that it isn't double the amount, the degree of resistance to antibodies. It's actually just the same as having either one together. This situation is moving quite quickly, but this morning I spoke to Nicola Davis, the Guardian's science correspondent, about what we know so far. So, Nicola, can you tell us a bit more about these variants and, and why are scientists worried about them? Sure. So there are three variants that were first detected in India, and these are sometimes called the Indian COVID variants, although not everybody is comfortable with that phrasing. The three variants are called B.1.617.1 and then 0.2 and 0.3. So there are sort of three variants that are very closely related. At first, all of them were designated variants under investigation by Public Health England. That means that they have mutations or some reason to think that they may cause some problems, whether that means that they're very transmissible or that they might in some way at least partially evade immune responses. So when a variant is thought to have potentially properties that could help it in that way, it's deemed a variant under investigation. And one of those variants has since been designated a variant of concern. That means that there is some evidence to actually support the initial worries. And the variant that is of concern is that known as B.1.617.2. So a very snappy name there. And what's the situation in the UK then? How far have these variants spread and, and what kind of cases are we seeing? OK, well, there's several ways of looking at this. We have several different data sources that we can turn to to kind of answer that question. So you can look at the number of cases. So that's the number of people who've been infected with this um, variant that have been picked up. Or you can look at the number of sequenced genomes that relate to a particular variant. Now, these obviously are correlated, but they may be a bit different because in the latter case, you know, you could have more than one specimen from each person. So often when you're looking at the number of sequenced genomes, that's a bit higher than the number of actual cases. But both give us an idea of what is happening. So... If we look at sequenced genomes to start with, um, that data, we get that updated every day. Um, and that's from the COVID-19 Genomics UK Consortium. And so far, they found that there have been 1,723 of the variant of concern. Remember, that's B1617.2. Now, this data is updated regularly. So those numbers might have, have risen again by the time you hear this podcast. But at present, it means that the variant of concern accounts for just over 8% of all the COVID genomes sequenced in the UK in the last 28 days. 
Okay, so that's that's sequences and it is going up. What about the number of cases? So Public Health England are due to release a new update on case numbers today. Uh, but up to the 5th of May, there were 261 cases of B1617.1, 9 of B1617.3 and 520 of B1617.2. That's the variant of concern, remember. But given the trend that we're seeing in the genome sequencing figures, we can expect cases of this variant of concern to have risen considerably in the new data release. One issue that is concerning scientists is that the rising cases of this variant of concern have occurred even though the country has been under quite tight restrictions. Remember, we are not yet at stage three. That's going to happen on Monday with the relaxation of restrictions. So we have been under quite tight restrictions during the period where we've seen the rise in this new variant of concern. Is this variant of concern, is it spreading more quickly than than the other variants that we have here in the UK already? There are concerns about the transmission. So uh, there's some data from a survey called the REACT study, which is carried out by researchers at Imperial College London, and they've detected B1617.2, so this variant of concern, in samples during their survey. Now, the numbers of genomes they sequenced are low. They only sequenced 26 of the positive tests in their study. But two out of the three positive tests that were sequenced in London, so they sequenced three, but two of them were of this variant of concern. And the researchers say that could mean that the variant is more transmissible than the Kent variant, which is sort of dominating in the UK, uh, in populations where, where both of those viruses are circulating. Now, On Friday, again, that was the 7th of May, Public Health England said they believed the new variant of concern is at least as transmissible as the Kent variant. But others have gone further. So Professor Tom Wenzeliers at the University of Leuven, who's done quite a lot of work uh, with UK scientists on the spread of the Kent variant, said that uh, the new variant of concern, B1617.2, could be 60% more transmissible than the former. Now, that hasn't been confirmed, but it's just showing you that there are scientists who are quite concerned that this might have an edge in terms of transmissibility. We know there is a meeting of SAGE experts in the UK today to discuss the situation, and it is fast moving, and more evidence and more data is coming out as we go along. Researchers are trying to learn as much as they can about these variants to understand what might allow them to spread more quickly and potentially to evade our vaccines. Professor Ravi Gupta's lab at the University of Cambridge has been studying the mutations in these variants and they've shared some early findings in a preprint. I got in touch with him earlier this week and spoke to him from Addenbrooke's hospital. So we started in, with uh, the mutations that defined the, the earliest versions of that virus because uh, we thought that it was important to understand what this double mutant was. There was this uh, phrase used in India um, by scientists and journalists um, uh, and we wanted to sort of understand whether that was a real thing or not. Was it, you know, was it as scary as, as people were making out? Um, and the, that, was, that label was due to the mutation L452R and um, E484Q, and that, those two, two key mutations in the spike protein receptor binding domain that locks onto our cells and lets um, the virus get in. And it's also the target of um, multiple antibodies that we make, so it's a really important spot for the virus. 
Right, so this phrase double mutant or I've also seen triple mutant, uh, is that a phrase that we should be using? Is it useful or is it not very helpful? It's not very helpful um, and the reason we did the work is because we wanted to stop people using it but also to understand whether it was you know a real thing or not so i think the overall thing is that these aren't useful terms because there are many viruses out there with um, major mutations that cause concern and you you can't label everyone every one of them a double mutant because it doesn't tell you anything about the characteristics i mean there are definitely a lot of numbers and letters flying around at the moment and it can be a bit hard to keep track so public health england has decided that B1.617.2, that's a variant of concern. But you say that you were looking at an earlier version of this virus, so before it split up into these different lineages. That's right. Uh, It's it's the 0.1 variant. In fact, it's the first one that was isolated in India before the 0.2 arose. It's unclear as to when 0.2 arose, but um, it appears that 0.2 has lost one of the key mutations, E484Q, and gained another, uh, T478K, um, so, so it does seem to be doing different things um, in populations, but it's important to know how it's changed from its, its sort of common ancestor, as it were. So how have you been studying these mutations then that we see in these variants? We've looked at sequences from India and the UK, and we have set up a collaboration uh, with our colleagues in India via INSACOG, which is their equivalent of the COG UK consortium. So we've been able to access um, um, some very special sort of sequences from Delhi in particular. We've made mutations, there's key mutations in the, uh, in the spike protein in an artificial virus um, that, um, that uh, gives you very nice results in terms of comparison with real live SARS-CoV-2. So we use these systems in order to um, understand how, how well our antibodies from vaccine, for example, are able to tackle these mutant viruses or these variants. And we found that the um, 452 mutation uh, gives you an order of sort of four or five fold loss of susceptibility to the, to antibodies, which is what's been reported before, because this this mutation, for example, was found in the California variant that caused some concern in the US, and our data match very nicely with what's been shown. Uh, the other mutation, E484Q, has not really been studied very much, and we found that this mutation gave a similar sort of four or five fold loss of uh, neutralization sensitivity um, on its own. And then when we combined them, this was the important thing. It, didn't, it wasn't 5 plus 5 equals 10-fold loss. It was, a, it was still around the 5-fold mark. So we, sh- we essentially have shown that th- this isn't a double mutant and that it isn't double the amount, you know, the degree of uh, resistance to antibodies. It's actually just the same as having either one together. And that potentially explains why in the 0.2, the 617.2 variant that's emerged in the UK and is causing problems in India, you've actually lost that E484Q, probably because the virus didn't really need it for what it was trying to do. Okay, so it seems like it doesn't really matter if the virus has one of these mutations or both of them, the effect is pretty much the same in terms of the immune system. And so that could be the reason why the variant of concern has lost one of those mutations because it doesn't really need both of them. That's right. They don't seem additive. Of course, there are caveats in that, you know, we're, we're, we only tested so far sort of 10 odd zero. Um, but I think that it's in line with the data from other labs uh, showing that the degree of resistance to neutralizing antibodies is not a, sev- not a severe one. It's a moderate. It's moderate. So you mentioned this four to five uh, fold reduction in the ability of our antibodies to deal with the virus if the virus has this mutation. Um, how does that compare to other mutations that have arisen, for example, the uh, the variant that was originally discovered in South Africa? Yes, it's important to put the 
data in context of what we've seen before. In, in the same experiment that I've just mentioned, we put the E484K mutation in, which is a key driver of the, um, the, uh, the uh, worrisome nature of the South African origin variant, the B1.351. And, um, and we find that gives around a tenfold um, impact in our, in our assays. So, so that puts our findings of, of, into context in that it's not, an, it's not as severe as the, um, the South African variant. So taken together then, these mutations that you've talked about, what do they mean for how well our vaccines are going to work against this strain? Well, it, it does um, indicate that there could be a degree of evading um, uh, our vaccine programme, uh, but the level of protection is going to still be very high and get severe disease and death from having the vaccine. So you may get a low-level infection, you may feel some symptoms. Some people who had poorer responses to vaccination, the elderly, for example, um, uh, or people who have had uh, immune suppressant drugs may actually end up with a more severe disease. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing we worry about. Taking a step back and looking at the global picture, I mean, a lot of people will be looking at the scenes in India in horror, really, as cases have gone up so dramatically and have kind of stayed there. Do we know anything about whether these variants that we're talking about, whether they're responsible for that dramatic rise in cases? After their you know, social distancing measures were, were eased, the, the 617 started expanding. Now, what we've been seeing is um, an increase in the 02 you know, the, the identification of 0.2 uh, variant uh, infections in, in, in India. And this kind of mirrors what we've been seeing in the UK and that the, it's the 617.2 that seems to be expanding. Um, and I predict this is going to be due, partially due to the 478 mutation, uh, giving it some advantage. There are a couple of other mutations in, in the virus in the spike that could be contributing to this as well. So, so I, I think it has some kind of advantage uh, potentially in people who have had the vaccine or who have been infected before. Um, and, and in our preprint recently, we showed that within a, a hospital outbreak, there, were, um, there, there, there was a preponderance of, of 617.2 viruses. And we've just been doing an analysis that shows they're all, uh, many of them are identical, meaning that this virus may be transmitting between people who have had vaccines. So they were potentially reinfected? That's right, yes. Do we know whether this variant of concern that's spreading, whether that will eventually overtake the what some people call the Kent variant that's currently the dominant variant in the UK? There is a distinct possibility, uh, in my view, because the, uh, the 617 variant from India has um, more, is, more immune escape potential in that the, there are mutations in the receptor binding domain, as I mentioned, that do confer some advantage in um, avoiding our antibody responses. And so um, this is an, a little bit of contrast to the B117 uh, variant that some people call the UK or the Kent variant, uh, which, which has a small um, uh, uh, loss of sensitivity to, to antibodies that we get from natural infection or, 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 or vaccine. Um, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's uh, smaller than we're seeing in the 617. So that may be enough to give the 617 an advantage in a population like the UK where we've had quite a lot of background infection and we have a vaccine programme. What's your overall outlook then on the situation? It seems like cases from these variants are going up, but as you've said, probably our vaccines are largely going to work. At the same time, from next week, uh, May the 17th, England is set to ease its restrictions and there's going to be more mixing. Given everything that you've just said uh, about these strains and their mutations and the number of cases... 
Should that have a bearing on, on the way that we open up? Well, until re- very recently, I was supportive of the idea of continuing to open up, uh, you know, based on the vaccination. But I, I've seen data, the data we've pre-printed just recently in the last few days. And, you know, what, what we're seeing uh, makes me reconsider that. And, and especially with the expansion of point, uh, 617.2 infections in the UK. So I, I'm, uh, I think I'm of the opinion that we should delay further easing um, at least for the next two to three weeks until we have a clearer picture of what this virus is capable of doing and making a concerted effort to gather information as quickly as possible. Because, again, once the, once the, the virus is out there, it's very hard to rein it in without a national lockdown, as we saw before. Um, and so it, I think for the sake of a couple of weeks, I think we, we, we really need to buy ourselves a bit more time on this occasion. So Nicola, you've heard what Ravi's just said. He's advising caution and that maybe we should think about delaying the reopening that's due to happen on Monday by a couple of weeks until we know more. What does the sort of mood seem to be among other scientists? What are experts that you're speaking to saying? Well, there are certainly a number of scientists saying that we should think about delaying or we should be acting very, very cautiously because of how fast this variant is growing Um, and because we're still exploring what all the mutations mean so we don't have a fantastic handle as yet on how this variant behaves so that's that's really sort of the the two key concerns and it's worth remembering that you know at the moment uh, a third of the UK adults haven't received a vaccination at all against uh, COVID Uh, about a third have had two doses and then the remainder have had one dose so there is still a population there who uh, could well catch uh, this variant. And we've got to remember that, you know, it's not just severe disease and death that we should be thinking about. Uh, there is also the the fact that there are conditions such as long COVID that we should be thinking about. Um, and even if people have been vaccinated, no vaccine is 100% effective. So there is still a risk that uh, some of those uh, people who have been vaccinated may still catch the virus. And, uh, you know, that's also a concern. So I think it is important to stress that, you know, we've talked here about a lot of the worries about this variant, and those are certainly issues that are concerning scientists, uh, but we don't yet know what the full impact of this new variant of concern may be. So it's important not to panic, but to look at the data, to see what the science is telling us, and to make sure that appropriate actions are taken. I mean, it it does look like these variants have arrived in the UK initially because of travel from India. Um, Should we be more concerned about importing potentially dangerous variants from abroad? As of Monday, we're going to have this traffic light system where you've got countries on the green, amber or red list, which relates to sort of measures around quarantine and testing when you enter uh, England from those countries. So there are measures to try to reduce the importation of cases or, or at least reduce their ability to spread into the general population. However, some scientists have raised concerns about the fact that if you open up travel, for example, if you say it's fine to go to Portugal and you don't have to quarantine when you come back. Um, If you were only mixing with local population, perhaps that might be less of a risk. But given that tourists tend to gather in particular areas and tourists from many different countries tend to gather in the same area, then that can mean that you have this risk. You could get variants passed around and they could enter the country uh, even from green, green list countries. 
the key thing here is having a system so that uh, you reduce the likelihood of a variant coming into the country. If it comes into the country, it's stopped at the quarantine level. And then if it get, still gets through and into the community, we have a really good um, sort of testing and tracing and isolating system to stop it from being passed on to lots of other people. So that's the sort of multi-layer approach that we need to try to stop these new variants coming in. Presumably, though, this isn't going to be the last variant that is given this variant of concern status because the virus is still mutating. So I guess what we should be braced for potentially more to come and, you know, ones that are maybe even more dangerous than this one. I think it's certainly true that there will be further variants of concern anywhere where you have high levels of infection. I mean, that's one of the the risks for new variants developing. And we know that in countries, including India, which are experiencing a really devastating situation right now, there are very high number of infections. And that means you have lots of opportunities for new variants to, to emerge. And we know how quickly variants can spread, um, not only within a country, but also around the world. So that's why it's so important that we have this genome sequencing. And the UK's genome sequencing efforts are, are some of the best in the world. We, we do have very, very good uh, surveillance of what's happening with these variants. And that's really, really important. But it's also really important that we help other countries too in that respect, because every country really needs to be able to keep an eye on what's happening in terms of variants, uh, because you know we're all in this together, and what happens in one country will affect other countries. So I know there's a lot of work going on at the moment. Scientists are proposing a number of different ways that we can help support other countries to also keep a very close eye on what's happening with new variants. Thanks very much, Nicola, and thanks to Professor Ravi Gupta from the University of Cambridge, who we heard from earlier. You can read the latest coronavirus coverage from Nicola and the rest of the Science Desk at theguardian.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can drop us a line, scienceweekly at theguardian.com. Next week, Shivani Dave talks to The Guardian's tech editor, Alex Hearn, about NFTs, or non-fungible, love that word, tokens. They've been used to sell everything from tweets to digital art online, sometimes for millions of dollars. But how do they actually work? And is there a catch? For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.